Join your hearts with me as we pray to God. Author, maker, redeemer, our creator, refuge, our hiding place. Lord, thank you that we can together sing and celebrate who you are. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you are great, Lord. There is no one like you. You are worthy of your name. God, I praise you that though you are great and more magnificent and excellent than all others, you still willingly sent your son and he humbled himself. He was born in a manger. He associated with the outcasts. And he said that the greatest in your kingdom is one who becomes like a little child. And we just saw a little child on stage today. Forgive us for thinking that greatness will come from my success or my influence or my audience or my education or my finances. Forgive us for looking for greatness in the way that the world does. I praise you, Lord God, that you humbled yourself and that you care for the lowly, and that true greatness is humbling ourselves and caring for the lowly. So help us to see what is great in your eyes. And thank you that when we might feel abandoned or forsaken or alone, you have eyes for us and care for us. Encourage us today to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, I'd invite you to open your Bible to Ruth chapter 3. We are over the hump of this story. We've been following Naomi's family. Naomi, the wife of Elimelech, who went away from the home in Bethlehem into Moab during a time of famine, and we've been following their suffering and their bereavement, how the whole, all the men in the family died. The father passed, his two sons passed, and three women were left widowed. We've seen them go back home, but only Ruth, uh, Naomi with her daughter-in-law Ruth We've seen Ruth, uh, Naomi be bitter. We've seen her doubt. We've seen her in a spiritual coma, but we've seen God provide. We've seen God come through. We've seen hope restored, and now we're going to see God demonstrate even greater and mightier ways how powerful he is. You know, when I've been thinking about the story, it's made me think about um, how God is so worthy of our praise because of who he is. In this whole story, God's been even in control, even throughout, even over, even amidst all of this suffering. He's been good, even throughout all of it. He's been patient, too, even when Naomi was bitter. He didn't judge her or discount her. He was patient with her. And God was merciful to them. They were vulnerable peoples in their society. They were outcasts, but the Lord cared for them the widow, the sojourner. You know, God isn't the type of person who it does what our world does. You know, our world elevates and celebrates power and strength. But our God, powerful as he is, strong as he is, he cares for the vulnerable and the needy. And it's so different from the way that our world operates, and I'm so thankful for that. This past week, I noticed something that happened, I think it was a couple months ago, but it just shocked me. 
you know, the Raptors won the NBA championship last year, and the Raptors have this uh, mainstream pop star supporter, uh, the rapper Drake. And I saw, I think it was a couple months ago, the powerful organization, the Raptors, presented a gift to this powerful individual. He didn't need it. He could have bought it himself. But he'd got, he gave it anyway. The, uh, the photo op or the GM handed Drake this suit jacket. Not just any suit jacket. A diamond embroidered suit jacket worth $739,000. And I thought to myself, why? He could have bought that himself. He... But then I noticed and realized why when they were all posing. It's for their own image. It's for their own self-interest. It's for their own advantage. A powerful organization gave an unnecessary gift to a powerful individual to make themselves look good. And I'm so thankful that our God is not like that. He is all-powerful, yet he is merciful and cares for the weak and cares for the needy. And this is an encouragement to us because in our suffering, we can feel like we're alone. We can feel like we're overlooked. We can feel like we're forsaken. God gives a hope that doesn't disappoint. And God cares for the merciful. He did it for Naomi's family. They were bereaved. They were hopeless. But in their bereavement, in their hopelessness, God made a way. And he can do it in your suffering as well. He's the same God then as he is now. He made a way for them then, and he can make a way for us now. This is the point of the message that we're going to hear from the story today in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1 to 18. In your suffering, God hasn't forsaken you. In your suffering, you're not alone. You can trust God. In your suffering, you can trust that God is making a way. And in the story today, we're going to see that the characters made bold decisions because they trusted God. We're going to see the four decisions that these characters made because they trusted that God was making a way. And I believe that today's message will be a source of encouragement for many. So that you can know that in your suffering, you can trust that God makes a way and you can make decisions of bold courage as well rather than sitting back in a spiritual slumber in hopelessness. So as we do, let's stand together to honor God in the reading of his word. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 5. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. You can take your seats, church. In your suffering, you can trust. Trust that God is making a way. We're going to learn four decisions that you can make in your suffering when you trust that God is making a way. The first decision we're going to see is 
reminiscent and reflects the decision that Naomi made from the passage we just read in verse 1 to 5. Decide to walk with bold faith. Even in your suffering, decide to walk with bold faith. This is what Naomi did. Naomi wanted Ruth to marry badly. Ruth married Naomi's son, but Naomi's husband and both her sons died. And we see in chapter 1 that all she wanted, all she wanted was her daughter-in-law to be able to remarry. Chapter 1, verse 8 says, But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in her husband's house of her husband. But now look again in verse th- uh, chapter 3, verse 1. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? She really wanted her daughter to remarry, but she didn't think she could be a part of the plan. So in chapter 1, they were at the edge of the city of Moab, and Ruth, Naomi was telling Ruth, just go home and find a husband there. I can't help you. But Ruth swore an oath of loyalty to her mother-in-law, and they both went back together in Bethlehem. But, but Naomi thought, well, there's no chance of any prospect here. But then the Lord revealed this man, Boaz, who kind of gave a hint that he was interested, and now Ruth is awoken from her, excuse me, Naomi is awoken from her spiritual slumber and says, like, maybe God can use me to be a part of the plan. So she then makes this audacious plan to seize the attention of Boaz to let him know that Ruth is available for marriage. You see, Boaz had a social responsibility that God's law required of him. He was a family member that had the responsibility to do the job of a redeemer. In that culture, if you somehow found yourself in a vulnerable position because of your poor decision or because of life circumstances, the redeemer was a person who had the responsibility as a part of your extended family to step in and help. If you had a debt to repay, but you couldn't, the Redeemer would step in. If you lost ownership of your property, the Redeemer would step in. If you were widowed and the family line was broken, and if the family line was going to be continued, the Redeemer would need to step in. And he kind of hinted that he might be willing to step in by giving a gift in the last passage that we saw. So now Naomi is making this plan to kind of like seize his attention let him know that Ruth is available for marriage and kind of like let him know, hey, make a move. But what was the plan? So what she essentially says is, okay, Ruth, you got to go make yourself available, seize his attention, so go to him. Go at night. Go in secret. Uh, Find him where he's sleeping uncover his feet and wait to see what he does. I did a lot of study this week about the cultural significance about what these things mean. But I don't care if it's an ancient culture or a modern culture, this kind of seems a little shady, doesn't it? And actually, if you were an ancient reader reading this text and you heard that she went to the threshing floor at night, you would have read this and be like, Naomi, what are you asking your daughter-in-law to do? The threshing floor had this like not so good connotation to it about 
things that happen at night. Kind of like in our culture or recent generations, the same connotation that would have been like if a guy and his girlfriend go out in a drive and then stop at some overpass and the guy turns to the girl and says, hey, you want to go into the back seat? Oh, you like to play cards? Like, no. Ancient readers are kind of like, what's, what, what's, what's happening here? Na- okay, Naomi, Naomi is not asking her to do uh, something that would compromise her integrity or Boaz's integrity. But she is asking her to do something that's very audacious and very dramatic. But she's doing it in order to seize his attention and let him know that she is available. And tell him, can him like, make a move? But if Boaz has already given the attention that he might be interested, why hasn't he made a move yet? Well, what's key here is to understand verse 3, how it says, she told her, wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak. That wasn't just any cloak that she told her to put on. The reason that Boaz, oh, excuse me, Naomi told Ruth, to do these things wasn't just uh, like, hey, sister, go get dolled up, right? Sure, it's probably true that if you go have a shower, you're going to be a little more attractive, but this cloak was a unique everyday dress that she was being told to put on, likely because what she had been wearing ever since she came to Bethlehem wasn't an everyday dress, but her garments of mourning that she had worn since she'd become widowed. It's likely Boaz hadn't made a move yet because he saw her in widow garments that say, give me my space, and Boaz was giving her her space. But now Naomi's saying, it's time. You're done mourning. Let him know you're available. But why do it so dramatic? Why do it in such like a risque way? Well, actually, this was probably less risky, less dangerous even than if she just went out in open public with her everyday dress on. Because remember, they lived in a time where guys were assaulting women in the open field in broad daylight. So Boaz was like probably the only worthy man in town. And Naomi wanted the best for Ruth. So if she just went out in open town in her everyday dress, people might unworthy man might have gotten the wrong idea and might have tried to proposition her or even do worse to her before Boaz could have stepped in. So even though this seemed dramatic and seemed risky, it might have even been the safest option for her to be able to marry this worthy man and Naomi really wanted the best for her daughter-in-law. So she made a bold decision in faith. Risky? Absolutely. But Naomi saw God was making a way And she didn't step back. She didn't say, like, well, we'll just let and see how things work out. She told her daughter to go and act in faith. And you know, it's hard to do that when we're in our times of suffering. It's easy to stay asleep in a spiritual coma and just let life pass in front of you. Even if you've clearly seen God work, maybe you've not acted on it because it would be too hard or you're afraid as a result of the suffering that you've experienced. Trust that God is making a way. And like Naomi, you can wake up from your spiritual slumber, your spiritual coma, and you can walk by faith, and you don't need to walk in fear. 
Trust that God is making a way and decide to walk with bold faith. Here's the second decision you can make. And this is Raom, uh, excuse me, Ruth's decision. Trust that God is making a way and decide to show selfless love. This is kind of true. This is what Ruth does and it's true to the character that we already know about her. Let's read the text and we'll see how she demonstrates selfless love. Verse six. So she went down to the threshing floor and did as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry, and he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Notice that was the exact same thing that Naomi knew it would happen. She said, wait till he eats and drinks and then lies down. Just, well, notice how it says he had eaten and drunk, but that doesn't mean he was drunk. This was like, this was like their Thanksgiving meal, right? It's the end of the harvest, and they're celebrating, And Naomi knows, like, after he eats, he's probably just going to be, like, super happy, and that's the time where you ask him something, right? Like, if you're a 16-year-old kid, and you just got your G2, and you don't, your parents once before told you, I'm not yet comfortable with you driving the car by yourself, maybe the right time to do it is after dad is Thanksgiving dinner, and he's a little full, and a little happy sitting down to watch football, I think that, that's the time that he might be a little more willing to give you the keys, right? That, that's what's happening here. So let's keep reading. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. And it's not actually the, that she laid down beside him, but it was like at his feet, kind of perpendicular to him, not right beside him. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. Yeah, I'd be startled too. And he said... Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. That's a really interesting statement that she says. Remember, Ruth is a pretty new convert to worshiping the God of Israel, Yahweh. She had spent her whole life worshiping the false gods of Moab. And from this story, we know that she's aware of two things about who this God is, Yahweh. We know, because Boaz himself said it, that Yahweh can protect people like a mother bird protects its baby chicks with its wings. Boaz said that to her. Ruth also learned from Naomi that there's a certain stipulation in the law where a family member had the job of the redeemer to make them whole if they were broken. Ruth doesn't know a lot about this new faith she's following, but she knows those two things. And look again at what she says there. I am your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. She reiterates the things that she knows. What this tells me is that she has such a faith in God that she sees the Lord working here, and she's learned, and she's faithful, and she's teachable, and she's acting on her faith. She's a new follower, but she's a mature one at that. And then look at verse 10. Boaz responds, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, for you have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Remember that word kindness, as we've learned in this series, is the same word in the Psalms translated steadfast love. And it describes God's special love for his covenant people. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. We know that this is the type of woman that Ruth is that shows God's love to others. But Boaz said, this act of kindness was greater than the first act of kindness that she knew that she showed to Naomi. 
That's startling. Do you remember the last act of kindness that she did? Naomi told Ruth, her daughter-in-law, stay in Moab, don't come home with me, there's no hope for you there. But Ruth said, no, 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 no. No, I'm leaving my family, I'm leaving my home, I'm leaving my gods, and I will be with you until you die, and when I die, I'll be buried where you're buried. I am never leaving you, even until death. And she had no hopes. She, she offered her life in trust to the Lord, to a woman who could offer her nothing back. But Boaz says somehow that this act of kindness was even greater than that one. How is that? There are a lot of important decisions you can make in your life that kind of set the trajectory of where the entirety of your life might go, right? I think the most important decision you will, will ever make in your life is deciding whether or not Jesus is who he says he is. Next to that, there are a lot of important decisions we make. Maybe your job changes and you need to decide if you're going to move with your job to another city or you're going to stay in this city and get a different job. Moving is a big decision. Buying a home is a big decision. Investing is a big decision. Going to university, that, it's still a big decision, but it's becoming less and less of a bigger decision. What degree? I, so many people my age like get their degree and then get a job that has nothing to do with their degree. Marriage is a pretty big decision. Most of us would marry for love, right? And then you're with that person and you have kids with that person and you raise those kids and maybe you have grandkids and you're with that person, Lord willing, the rest of your life. This is one of the most important decisions Ruth could have made. But she didn't make this important decision for her own self-interest. Boaz apparently was an old guy. Probably maybe even the same age as Naomi. But listen to what he says in verse 10. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Maybe she could have married a person her age who is young so that these young lovers could have grown old together. But this young girl chose an old guy. Why? By invoking the title Redeemer and asking Boaz to help them, she's not just asking Boaz to marry her. She's asking Boaz to take care of her mother-in-law. She made one of the most important decisions of her entire life completely against her own self-interest and completely for the good of someone else. And that's a great act of love. But isn't that exactly in line with the character that we know about who Ruth is? And she's suffering, isn't she? Her husband has died. She left her family and her homeland and moved to a new place. Those are pretty big life decisions. But she, even in the midst of her suffering, is able to act in love. Some of us in our suffering get so cocooned off from our world because we feel we're so pained that we can't act in a way that's for good, the good of others around us. We're cocooned, but not like in a cocoon that a butterfly's in where we can reemerge into something beautiful. We're cocooned in our self-pity in the same way that a corpse is cocooned in a tomb. And we don't think we can be any good to other people. What was in Ruth that allowed her to be able to act in love? Was she extra optimistic? Did she have mm, uh, a better personality? 
Which, did she have a stronger willpower? No. She trusted God. And the God she trusted is the same God you can trust. And even in your suffering, you can do good to others. You can show selfless love. You can decide to act in faith. You can decide to show selfless love. And you can decide also to do what Boaz did. You can decide to hold on to integrity. Let's read the rest of the passage, verse 11 to 18. It says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not, is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but arose before no one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Boaz held on to his integrity when a less worthy man would have made a poor, selfish decision. This was an audacious plan that in a place where some less than reputable things could have happened, but Boaz didn't act in an unworthy way. He held on to his reputation. Four ways that I see Boaz hold on to his integrity and reputation here. First, he did his job as a redeemer, stepped in and gave his word that he would do it. He said, I will do for you all that you ask. This is a good lesson for us. Because it's a big deal to give your yes. And it's a big deal to break it. I don't have a lot of pet peeves, but I have a few. Uh, and um, they bother me. But even if you do those things, it's okay. We can still be friends. One of my biggest pet peeves is um, something people do with a microwave where they're like, I don't know, put in whatever you're reheating and set the dial for a certain time and press start. But they're a little anxious and they want to eat, so they just wait there. And instead of waiting till the timer finishes and the beep goes off and then opening the door, for some ridiculous reason, they press the open button right at one second before the beeper goes off, take their food off to enjoy it, close the door, and in some, for some ungodly reason, forget to cancel the timer, and it stays there at zero, zero, one. I like seeing the time on the microwave, and just, it's really easy. Just press it and do us all a favor. Cancel it, let the time's on. Uh, the lint in the dryer it's not so much anymore. My wife and I, I think, do that pretty well. But man, when I was in university and shared a dorm with some guys, like, guys, this, come on, this isn't annoying anymore. This is a safety hazard. This is going to caught on fire. Well, my biggest pet peeve is um, those stickers that you see on books that you buy. Maybe you've seen this before, those price tag things. 
Try as hard as you can. You can never get them off. And if you somehow get them off, there's always a little residue of glue on it. But even if it gets, you can try as best as you can to peel it off. And sometimes you just like rip a part of the book off with it. And don't come afterwards and tell me just like, no, I got away. I know how to do it. You just got to get your hair dryer and just like blow it on so it melts a little bit. And, or, or you just got to get like a Q-tip with some rubbing alcohol and just massage the book a little bit. And I don't have to do those things to pull the stickers off. But they're so hard to get off. It's like if there's always something going to be stuck to it. Hard as you can to pry it off, it will never actually separate from the book. And that's what it's like for men and women who keep their word. My yes is my yes, and I'm holding to it, and you cannot pry it away from me. And even if somehow you do pry it away from me, it's like prying something, you'll rip something, a part of me off with it. And, and this is a lesson I can learn. My yes isn't my yes two weeks from now. My yes is my yes now. He said, tomorrow I'll do it. And Naomi knew him so well that she said he'll settle the matter today. He decided to hold on to integrity. He stepped in. He gave his word. Here's the second way, four ways that he held on to his integrity. He wanted to marry her. His desire of his heart was to marry her, but he wouldn't compromise God's law and step in where he knew it wasn't yet his place. See, the redeemer whose job it was in to step in and help the family member was the closest family member, and he knew there was someone closer to him. And he wanted to marry her, but he didn't step beyond what God's word told him to do. He respected God's word, and even though he wanted to marry her, he respected God's word more. That's a good lesson for us, that even though we want, might want something, am I actually doing something that God's word describes, or am I going beyond those bounds? Holding integrity respects God's word first. He stepped in and gave his word. He stepped back and respected God's law. Third, uh, he made sure Ruth's, was Ruth's own integrity was protected as well. This could have been a shady thing if other people saw it. But he said, stay here tonight. But he held on to his integrity. He he let her stay with her that night, even though other people might have thought it was a shady thing, because if he sent her out at the middle of the night, what could have happened to her? It was a culture where women were being assaulted in open day. What could happen to her for if she went out in the middle of the night? But then when the morning came, he allowed her to go at a time where she wouldn't be seen so that people wouldn't like, see her at that time at the threshing floor and get the wrong idea about her. He didn't take advantage of her when he could have. He protected her so that others wouldn't hurt her. And he helped her depart in a way so that other people couldn't slander her reputation. What a good word for us. God forbid that we would be in a place where we could do something and no one would know. But even though no one's looking, we know God is looking. And we don't harm our sisters in Christ or our brothers in Christ. He stepped in and gave his word. He stepped back and respected God's law. He protected her integrity. And finally, he guaranteed his word with an extravagant gift for the mother-in-law. Remember two weeks ago, we saw that he gave her a gift of grain that was about one month's wages of food. 
one month's wages pay, when she didn't even deserve one day's pages because she wasn't even a hired worker. She gave a full month's worth of food. This measure that he gave her now, six measures of barley, that was about three months' wages. And notice the word that he wanted communicated to Naomi back home. Verse 17, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. That word empty-handed is significant. Boaz knew that Naomi lost everything. Naomi came back from Moab and told her friends, I went away full, the Lord brought me back empty. Boaz was telling her, though you once were empty, I, as your redeemer, am doing my job to make you whole again so that you will no longer be empty. Just like Ruth proved her character to Naomi, Boaz was true to his proven integrity as well. Each of these three characters made a decision of courage. Even in the midst of their suffering or other suffering, and their courage moved the story from heartbreak to hope. Are you in the midst of suffering right now? Sometimes it feels so hard to move from anywhere other than I am right now because of the pain that I felt in my suffering. Suffering can feel like a wound to our souls, like an open wound that needs stitches. And if you've had deep stitches before, you know that you're told that after you get the stitches, just sit down and don't move. Because until this heals, if you move too much, the stitches could open and you could start bleeding again and could start getting affected and go even worse from there. And when we first experience suffering, we can be like, I'm wounded and I just need to stay still until I heal. But some of us just choose that as our new normal. And even though the Lord is offering healing for us, we choose to be immobilized and paralyzed and choose not to heal and choose to stay in the spiritual slumber. And we'd rather have this new normal of despair or guilt or shame or, or anger or self-pity or fear, even though God wants to heal us. But even though you've been wounded, You don't need to step back and stay seated and asleep in a spiritual slumber. Yes, you may have been hurt deeply, but trust that God is making a way. And like Naomi, and like Ruth, and like Boaz, you can stand up and step out and make a courageous decision because you trust in God. They didn't have anything that we didn't have. It wasn't more willpower. It wasn't the best self-help teacher. It wasn't a greater optimism. All they had is all we have, a trustworthy God. And there may be a lot of things that you're suffering and struggling through right now, but whatever you're suffering through now, God can make a way in it. And I know that the Lord can make a way in it because he's already made a way to rescue us from our greatest suffering that's caused by the curse of sin. All suffering that anyone could ever experience in this life is because of sin. 
Sin is lawlessness. It's breaking God's commandments and law. Sin is following our own way and turning away from God's way. The wages of sin is death. The condemnation of sin is eternal punishment in a place the scripture calls hell. And the Bible says that all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But even in our sin, that brought the punishment of eternal death and causes all of the suffering in this life now, God made a way in that through the perfect redeemer, Jesus Christ. As Boaz was a redeemer to make whole what was broken in Naomi's family, Christ is the redeemer that the Father sent to make whole the brokenness of this world. He suffered so that you could be saved. He was forsaken so that you could be forgiven. He was rejected so that you could be accepted. And by faith in Jesus, believing that he died in my place, I am cleansed of my sin. My shame is covered. I'm reunited into relationship with God. I have the promise of abundant life now and the hope of eternal life in heaven. When that day, when Christ makes all things new, there will be no more suffering. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more tears or crying for the former things of sin will have passed away. And you can have that hope now. Hope is the certain expectation that God, things will be better because God keeps his promises. But maybe you don't have hope and maybe you're cocooned in this self-pity, unable to make decisions of faith, maybe because you're hoping in the wrong thing. Maybe because you're hoping in something that God hasn't promised in his word. Like fool's gold rather than the real's treasure. Real hope that is able to make these decisions of courage and faith has open hands before God and says, Lord, let your will be done. I don't know if I can have a kid. I don't know if I'll be married. I don't know if I'll get this job, but let your will be done. And with the cross behind you, open hands in front of you, and eternity before you, you can trust that God is making a way. And you can have the courage to act with bold faith, with selfless love, hold on to integrity, standing up and stepping out, no longer in this new normal of guilt and fear and shame, but moving forward because you know that Christ is your redeemer. He has made a way. He will make a way. Trust him and act in courageous faith. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Father, I know the wounds of our suffering go deep. I know it's really hard to move from that immobilized spot when we feel like what has been wounded might reopen. I know the fear we can experience, and so do you, Lord God. You know the fear that we can experience, the self-pity that we can be cocooned in. You see everything, Lord, and I thank you that you are God who is powerful and yet cares for the weak and cares for the vulnerable, and cares for the one who feels outcast. And Lord, I would pray for our church today. Would you build courage within us that we can make these decisions because we trust in you. Move us out of our apathy. Move us out of our spiritual comas. Move us into courage. Move us into faith. Move us into love. Move us into integrity, Lord God. 
that you might be glorified, that we might live with hope because we have a redeemer, Jesus Christ. Thank you that even if we don't see it, you're still here. Even if we don't feel it, you have not forsaken us. Help us to maintain this trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.